Today on episode 29 of the Be A Marketer podcast, you'll hear from a business owner turned CMO who's marketing in the real world. And I'm sharing why you should embrace emulation. This is the Be A Marketer podcast. My name is Dave Charest, Director of Small Business Success at Constant Contact, and I've been helping small business owners like you make sense of online marketing for over 16 years. You can be a marketer, and I'm here to help. Well, hello, friend, and thanks for joining me for another edition of the Be A Marketer podcast. You know, I can remember a time when I first started in marketing, and I was learning all about copywriting. And one of the exercises that I would do while I was learning the craft was handwrite existing copywriting letters and sales pages known to be successful. And I would do this multiple times as a practice. It was my version of going to the gym, if you will. And over time, I would start to uncover and internalize the structures that were in place in these successful campaigns. Now, I did this so I could learn how to apply those structures to my work for myself and for my clients. And it would also help create some muscle memory as I'd start to outline and draft a new project. And I would emulate these structures in my own work to just jumpstart that process to the success of the campaign. Now, if you think about it, this idea of emulation is something that we all do throughout our lives as we learn new skills. It's something that can be especially useful in marketing. Now, not to copy something, but really to look at the underlying reasons why something works and how to apply it to your situation. Now, today's guest actually talks about how she started to notice patterns in good writing and then implement those structures to get better results from her efforts, even as a non-writer. So if you see something you like, file it away and look for ways to adapt it to your situation. And don't be afraid to look for inspiration from the great work that's available to you. Well, friend, today's guest is Pamela Wilson. Currently, she's the Chief Marketing Officer of Dental Claim Support, an end-to-end revenue cycle management company in, you guessed it, the dental industry. Now, Pamela and I go way back. We were both part of a learning community back in the early days of what is now known as content marketing. Pamela has even written a couple of books on the subject, and at the time of recording, she was in the process of updating them. Now, what I love about Pamela is her ability to keep things simple as she breaks down the marketing process and creates systems to get consistent results. Now, part of our conversation today turns to AI, so I'd like you to pay particular attention because you'll notice Pamela's advice about making the AI give you better output. She asks the questions you should be asking yourself to create better marketing in general. Now, I asked Pamela to share her journey from business owner to CMO. Let's pick up the conversation there. I started out, and you know this, Dave, because you and I have known each other for years. I started out as a graphic designer. So I started out in the marketing world, but on the visual side of the marketing world, And the people I work with to this day know that about me because I tend to take what they're talking about and turn it into a visual that makes it all easy to understand. That's just the way my brain is wired. And I did that for decades. I help people with the visual side of their marketing. But as time went on, I became more and more interested in marketing strategy, in the copy side of marketing. And I 
started my online business. So I was building an online presence and started to use content marketing so that I could develop an audience online. And that was where I had to figure out how to write because I couldn't afford to hire somebody to write all the blog posts and all the emails I wanted to put out into the world. So I just had to figure it out. And over time, for some reason, I think my design training actually helped with this. But over time, I started to see a certain pattern to well-written content marketing And that was what I started emulating in my own content. And I discovered that as long as I followed this basic framework, the content worked really well. And I started writing for some big recognizable websites in the industry. I ended up joining the copy blogger team, which at that time was really well known in the content marketing world. And I ended up writing two books about content marketing. The person who's not a writer (laughs) wrote wrote books for people to help them learn how to write. So I'm updating those books right now to incorporate how you can weave in AI because that is a huge thing that's happening in the content marketing and the email marketing world right now that people need to understand how they can harness the power of that tool and avoid some of the dangers of that tool. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to get into some of that stuff too. I want to share a little bit of trivia here for people playing along at home. You mentioned obviously doing the graphic design, and I think you were the first person I think I hired maybe ever for my business to uh, create the header for my website design at the time. <laughs> so You and I go way back. Yeah, way, way back. back. Yeah. And that was uh, many, many years ago. I had that horrible like lime green shirt on too or something like that anyway. But uh, the header looked beautiful uh, regardless of the subject. <laughs> You're the only person who can rock a lime green shirt, Dave. So I thought... It- it was fine. It was great. So, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how your career just ends up taking all these twists and turns. And my philosophy has always been one of kind of curiosity. Like that's how I ended up with dental claim support. I, somebody that I was coaching in my online business was consulting with them and said, they need somebody with your skill set. Would you ever be willing to do some consulting work on the side? And I said, Sure. And again, just being curious, like, sure, let's see what happens, you know? And I got, I didn't think in a million years that I would be as interested in a company that provides support for the dental industry. I just didn't think it would be that interesting. And it was really fascinating. And one of the things that I love about this particular company is that they're very ambitious and they're willing to take some risks, some well-thought-out risks, some strategic risks, I would say, and they need the marketing help to make those things happen. So there, it's a business that is taking ambitious risks. They need marketing support. And it's been so exciting to get in there and, and support that growth. One of the things I have to imagine is interesting about that whole scenario is the fact that, you know, I think oftentimes being in the marketing industry you can often spend a lot of time talking to other marketers and really just really focused on like that craft itself. And I think what's interesting is when you actually get to attack a problem where you're obviously you're coming at it from with a marketing brain, but you're not talking about marketing. You're talking about like, how do you solve this problem for a different type of business that isn't in the marketing space? Right. And so I have to imagine that that is 
that is interesting, right? I mean, it's fascinating. It feels like marketing in the real world, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I, I think you're right. You end up in the space I was in before, which is more of an online business space. You end up kind of swimming around in the marketing world all the time. And this feels very much very anchored in very tangible business that's in the real world. And that's been delightful. I, I started out at the beginning of my career helping that kind of client. So it feels a little bit like a full circle moment, like I've come back to helping businesses that even though this one is everybody in the company is remote, it's completely a distributed workforce, but they feel a lot more brick and mortar than the businesses that I've been helping for the past decade. So it feels like a difference, but it also feels like going back to the beginning in a weird way. Yeah. How long have you been doing that now? I have been helping them since April, 2021. So it's a little more than two years. They had a model where the founders were kind of sitting in the C positions in the company. So one of the founders was CMO and head of sales. And they have recently moved into this model where they're realizing that the founders of the company really need to be more like owners and they're bringing people into the C position. So I had been helping them for a couple of years and said, I'll do this. If you need this help from me, I'm happy to do it. And so I've been in the CMO position since January 2023. What has that transition been like for you? It's been really interesting. I had to hit the ground running because we had a rebrand that I helped mm. to manage. So they had a completely different logo. But in December of 2022, they had hit their 10th year in business and they wanted to go forward with a different identity. They also started offering additional services, trying to appeal to a slightly different target market. So every it's like the ground was changing sure, under, yeah. underneath me. So it was a lot of change happening all at once, but I helped them to usher their new brand into the world and get it out on every place, every place that they appear and write new copy and sort of update how they show up in the world. And then we've been in the process of pivoting their content. They get a ton of traffic on their website. So pivoting their content so that it communicates what's happening in the business now. So it was I'll tell you what, <laughs> I mean, they talk about walking into a moving stream. This felt like walking into a rushing river. You know, <laughs> there was a lot going on from day one, but it's been very exciting. You know me, we've known each other long enough. You know about me that I have a very low tolerance for boredom and there has not been <laughs> one boring day in the CMO position. It's been pretty exciting. So when you came on, are you coming in? Is the team already in place? Did you have to hire? What was that process? There was a team already in place. So they, one of the things I like about this business is they really have committed to both content marketing and email marketing. So this was not something I had to convince them of. They already had a commitment to it. They have more than 400 blog posts on their website right now. And don't even ask me how many emails they've sent. I don't think I can count that high. They're, <laughs> they're really into email marketing as well. It's a really important part of their marketing strategy. So they have a content marketer, they have a videographer on the team. Right now, there's an additional person who helps with editing. She does some social posts. She's actually the person who helped me edit my books. Oh, great. I managed yeah. to convince her to join the team. So she's on the, on the team as well. So it's a small team, but that's one of the reasons we've started to use AI because I just find it's like having the Iron Man exoskeleton on your marketing team. You can just do a lot more when you have help from a tool like that. So it's pretty exciting times. 
So I'm curious, as you're stepping into this role where you're not just managing yourself, as you often have to do as a business owner, what are you discovering are your strengths when it comes to running the team? The funny thing is I have always really been into systems and processes. It's something I've done for my myself. Even when it was just me running my own business, I would create these little checklists for tasks that I had to do every so often that had multiple steps that had to be done in a certain order and that you needed, for example, a lot of, you had to open a bunch of tabs, have a bunch of links open in order to do a task. I would create these mini SOPs, standard operating procedures for me. Amazing, yeah. (laughs) So something I just did. I know, well, but I found that if you had to do something over and over again, and if it wasn't something you did every day, it was so much easier for me if I had those prompts. I could just open the document and see what was needed and, and start the task. And then it would be done very consistently. So that weird habit that I brought into this role has actually been super helpful because part of what we've been trying to do is create standard processes for getting things done. And I do like project management and all of that, even in my own business. I had a small team that I was managing in my own business in the most recent years, and we were using Asana and all sorts of project management magic to keep things moving forward. So I was able to bring that into this job as well. They didn't have project management software when I started working with them. (laughs) And we got about two weeks in and I said, you know, I really think we need a place to capture all of this outside of like email and Google Docs. Why don't we put it into project management software? So I got them onto that and that's been helpful as well. I can't imagine doing what we do without something like that. Well, speaking of, you know, the work that you're doing, what would you say are your, your top priorities right now with the business? The big priority now is to go through and make sure all of the conversion pages on the website are actually functioning at their best capacity. We have a structure where marketing is used to bring people into the business, and then there's a sales team that they talk to that actually converts the prospect into a new customer, right? So I always tell them, if we were playing football, if marketing was a football game, we start the prospect on the 50-yard line, marketing takes them down to the 10-yard line. So we'd take them 80% of the way down the field, and then sales picks it up at the 10-yard line and takes it into the field zone. So they score the points, but we are getting the customer right there so that they're really ready and warmed up to talk to the sales team. So that's my job. My job is to get more people to that sales team. And I'm going through everything and just making sure everything is working at its best, not just pages on the website, but also emails that people get. This past week, I was working on making sure that more people would show up for sales calls because once in a while, people book a sales call and then they don't show up for it. And that's time that we reserve for them. So just making sure that people understand that and they show up. It's all that kind of stuff. And just always doing experiments as well, which that's the other thing that's really nice about this business is they have enough web traffic and enough of an email list that we can run short experiments and get feedback and see what actually worked, which is harder when you only have 10 people a day visiting your website. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, you know, I think a couple of things there are like, yes, that's one of the interesting things where you actually have enough volume to 
really see things work on a different level that maybe that you're used to, right? And in, in other instances, particularly when you're first starting out and that type of thing. And so I think that's really interesting, but it helps reinforce like the, hey, this thing that I think is going to work. Oh my God, it works. Like, right? Like, oh boy, right? Or it doesn't. Or sometimes it's the opposite. Like, oh, this thing I thought was going to work will actually break everything. And so I better stop <laughs> it, right? So, I mean, you need to know either way. And I heard this quote, I had this quote this last week and I can't get it out of my head. Somebody at an event here in Nashville said, in God we trust, everybody else bring data. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, that's pretty perfect. I mean, you can trust in your gut and your instincts, but data is what will really tell you what's working. And we live in an age and in a world where it's pretty easy to get that data about your marketing. So if you pay attention to it, it's your friend. It really is. So I'm interested when you start thinking about, you know, the goals that you're setting for this year and what you're trying to accomplish with the team. Are there any particular things that come up to you as challenges to achieving those goals? The biggest thing right now is to figure out a way that we can free up time on the team so that they have more time to do other projects within the business. So right now, the team has been very focused on content creation, which is great. But one of the things that I did in this past month is to organize a schedule so that the bulk of their work is happening on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we have a system where we create content briefs for content that we're going to create. And then the briefs get checked and then the briefs get turned into first drafts and then the first drafts get edited and then the content gets published. That's the basic process. On top of that, we're trying to get videos created for some of this content, for some of the best content. So we're going through and just trying to make sure that everybody can work with everybody else. And I'm trying to put the bulk of that work on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that people can just, you know, creative people. It's like we need to be in our writing cave, right? (laughs) And so if you can turn off distractions and know that on one full day, you're just going to focus on content. What that allows us to do is in our environment, we end up having to be on a lot of meetings. So it allows us to reserve the other days of the week for meetings, which are necessary, but they can break your flow very easily if you have content to work on. So it allows us to have certain days that we work on meeting, that we do meetings, and then days that we can work on other things that the business needs outside of content. Maybe an older piece of content needs to be reviewed and updated. Maybe an email sequence needs to be revisited and updated. Maybe there's internal marketing that needs to happen to share something with the team. There are all sorts of needs that pop up that people turn to the marketing department for help with. And what I'm trying to do is just free up people's time so that they can address those things when they come up. Yeah, I love that. So it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned earlier how, you know, you didn't have to sell anybody on email. You didn't have to sell anybody on content. And it's an interesting thing where I think, obviously, we've, again, as we've mentioned, we've known each other for a while. And I think maybe the temperature has changed a little bit because I could, I suppose you could probably make an argument that, I mean, marketing is content marketing in so many ways and what's what really works out there today, right? But like, I mean, you're big on content, obviously. You wrote the two books. I think you're in the process of updating those right now. What can you tell, I guess, people that are listening that you may not even be a, a marketer necessarily by trade, but like, what can you tell us about content marketing? You mean for somebody who does not know what that is? Yeah, who isn't a marketer necessarily. Okay. 
I think you're right that when people think about marketing, what they're probably actually thinking about is content marketing, because so often in today's world, that's how marketing shows up. I come from an age where marketing was usually printed on paper. <laughs> when at the beginning of my career, that's what we were trying to do was to get marketing messages printed on paper. And nowadays, more often than not, they're on a screen. They're on a mobile device. They're on a computer screen. They're on an iPad, you know, any kind of tablet device. So content marketing is really the kind of marketing that you see on a screen that feels more like information that you're engaging with. Sometimes that information is delivered inside an email, but it's usually somewhat educational. It has some kind of inherent value where you're sharing insights or data or information that help people who want to know more about the business that you're in or what you do in your business. So it's marketing, but it's not advertising. And that's the other thing that I think people sometimes get confused about is they see an ad and they think that's marketing and it's not exactly. Content marketing is really more like, I'm going to give you some information so that you can make your own decision. It's almost, you know, to bring up that idea of like the difference between an ad and content marketing is oftentimes I like to describe that as like content is the thing that you're trying to consume and the ad is the thing that's interrupting you from doing that, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so you want to be the thing that people are trying to get to versus the thing that is is interrupting. So, well, what can you tell me about, and I'm wondering how much this plays into the work that you're doing now, but like, tell me a little bit about like the role of community with the business. Does that come into play at all? It does come into play. It's an important part of it. And it plays out in different ways. So we obviously have a social presence and we have our social communities where we show up on different social platforms. So that's one kind of community. There's also the internal community of all the people who work for the business. I think we're up to 175 now, all remote, you know, all over the place. So there's that community as well. And then there's I don't know if you would call it a community exactly, but there's the community that's formed when someone is assigned to a dental office and they become part of that dental office's team. So we say our team is your team. We actually have people who are assigned to a specific office. That's their office. And the office employees know their DCS team member by name and they have an ongoing relationship. So there's that kind of microcosm community as well, where there's some synergy between what DCS is trying to do for the office and what the office is trying to do in the sense of their business, right? It's a really beautiful thing. And it's one of the reasons that people work with us because our remote team members create real relationships with these offices. They feel like a remote part of their team. A lot of dentists have a hard time kind of visualizing how that's going to work, you know? It's pretty cool. I mean, when you talk to our customers, they will give us glowing reviews about DCS, but they won't even mention DCS. They mention their remote team member who's assigned to their office, and they just give a glowing review of that person because to them, that person is DCS, right? So I don't know if that's exactly community, but it definitely feels like it. Yeah, that's a, well, I mean, that just gets us back to that whole idea of just how important relationships are in any business, right? And particularly when you're thinking about 
how that represents the business that you do work for. So I love all of that. So I'm wondering, you know, what are you seeing right now that is something when you think about content marketing that you're like, this works right now? Like, is there anything in particular or maybe something that shifted from maybe something that has worked in the past? One of the things that I'm noticing is there has been a real push to encourage people to write content that answers questions. And I'm all for it. We have a lot of content on the DCS website that answers questions and people come and they get the answer. One of the things that I'm trying to change in our content right now is I want to make sure that we are definitely answering the kinds of questions that prospective buyers are asking right before they're ready to buy. So what happens is if all you know is I need to answer the questions that that people have about my business, what you'll tend to answer are a lot of beginner questions, a lot of questions from people who are at the very beginning of the process. So on my content team, one of the things I say is imagine that you have somebody who wants to buy a car and they're at the very beginning of the process. So they're, they're asking questions like, what is the difference between a gasoline powered vehicle and an electric vehicle? They're not ready to walk into a car dealership and start looking at vehicle models. They literally don't even know what kind of car they want. They're really at the very beginning. Or if they're saying, what's the difference between a compact car and an SUV or something like that, they're way at the beginning. And there's nothing wrong with answering those questions. But if you never get beyond that, what you end up getting is a lot of people who are tire kickers. They're just trying to learn more, but they're not actually trying to buy, right? So that's something that we're working on now is making sure that our content is not all of it, but that we have enough advanced content for people who are really like, okay, I'm ready to make this investment. And now I need to know how do I compare the, for example, somebody who's ready, they've decided they want an electric SUV or something, right? And now they're like, okay, how do I compare, you know, Toyota and Nissan or something? And so then they're looking at articles that are like, Toyota versus Nissan SUVs, which one is best in the marketplace? That's someone who is like really close to making a decision. They're about to walk in a dealership and you want to give them the information that will get them to walk into your dealership, right? So that's what I've been trying to encourage them to do. And people in general, when they ask me about content marketing, I'm like, yes, answer questions. Make sure you answer questions from people who are just about to buy though, so that you don't just create a bunch of content that attracts people who just are really at the very beginning of the process. That's an interesting point. I wonder, so what are some of the things that you do then to, like, how do you get to that point where you understand what those questions are? It's really understanding the buyer's journey. And that is a super geeky marketing term (laughs) that the average person probably doesn't think about, but it's, it's sort of trying to get into the head of someone who is becoming aware of your solution and thinking about what they're asking as they go through that process of deciding they want to go ahead and invest and invest in your solution, whether it's a product or a service. One thing that you can do is if you have sales conversations with your clients, you need to start recording the questions that you get in the sales conversations. So what are people wondering about? Oftentimes people wonder about, you know, you can fit those buyer questions into two main categories, which is how much time will this take? And will this actually work for me? 
a lot of times people are, are not convinced. They're, you know, they kind of think their situation is unique and maybe this won't work for them, right? And then how much time is always something that people want to know. How much time will it take for me to see results, for me to get this product uh, delivered to me, things like that. Those are buyer questions. And if you pay attention to what people are asking in the moment of purchasing, you can start answering those in your content. So we've been uh, dancing around it a little bit through this conversation. And so I want to get into it because I'm very curious to how you're applying it. But obviously, AI is a big thing going on in the world right now. And it's interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard of this thing. Uh, it's it's two letters, AI. Have you heard of this? It sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious as to, well, I guess in a couple, I mean, there's a big conversation that we could have here, Brett, but I'll start with, I'm curious as to how you're incorporating it into your content marketing efforts, your email marketing efforts. And and I have a feeling, you know, you mentioned how you're trying to figure out how to get more time for people on the team. And I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be something here that helps with that. But uh, tell me a little bit how you're bringing that all together. Definitely, definitely. So the one thing that I would tell people if they are thinking about how to weave in AI is, first of all, you have to stop paying attention to the 172 new AI tools that come out every single day. Yeah. So there, I mean... AI is being woven into everything right now. And if all you spend your time doing is testing out a bunch of tools, you will never actually get a chance to implement it and start seeing the the difference. So, and that is from personal experience because before I started weaving AI into what we're doing on our marketing team, I did that. I went out, researched a bunch of tools, picked probably four, and signed up, in some cases, put in a credit card and signed up for a paid account. And then I put them through their paces. And I had this really interesting revelation that I think will help most people, which is so many of the content creation tools now are built off of the engine that is basically the underpinnings of chat GPT. And so what you're getting is almost like an interface that's built on top of chat GPT. And there's something about that one step removed from chat GPT that in my opinion means that your results are not actually as good. So my recommendation is figure out how to use chat GPT. The paid account is $20 a month. It's the bargain of the century. If you get a paid chat GPT account, it allows you to use chat GPT plugins and it will allow you to use search engines in your queries. So you can get search engine results that are accurate to today, not to whenever the chat GPT language model stops scanning the internet, right? So you can get up to the moment results and answers from ChatGPT. So that was the biggest thing, was just figuring out, you know what, let's go back to our good old friend ChatGPT. And we're just gonna focus on really learning to use that and not trying to master all these new shiny tools that come out every day. And that gave us back a lot of time because we stopped trying to figure out all these other tools and what we should or could be using And we just focused on getting the best results out of this one tool. We call it our little robot team member. So (laughs) yeah, let's ask the robot team member, see what they say. Well, I do want to mention one thing because I think there's a, 
I don't know if we want to call this a disagreement or not, but I think it's an interesting thing when, so if I look at it from a typical like small business owner, right, who doesn't want to get into the marketing and doesn't want to get into the thing. And I think there's a world where I think, you know, how we look at it at Constant Contact in terms of the chat GPT stuff, like, yes, our stuff is built on top of that, but I think it creates another problem, right? Where you typically have kind of like the if you're going to chat GPT proper, it creates another kind of blank page yes, problem in absolutely. some instances, particularly for someone who doesn't have the time to figure that out, right? Because it's only as good as your prompt is, right? And I think yes. that's what's interesting where you know I look at some of the work that we're doing is we're trying to eliminate even that and just saying we're putting the prompt, we're doing the prompting basically, right? We're asking right. you to say, what type of thing do you want to write? What tone do you want? And then give me a couple keywords. And then we're putting that on top. So you don't have to get to that point where you have to worry about that. So I see value in both of those sides, depending on the audience who's using it. And so I think that's one of those things that becomes a, an interesting thing. And just to be clear, I I didn't mean necessarily, I was talking about AI writing tools. Of course, yeah. Not constant contact. So I know there are a lot of platforms that have embedded it in their platforms and that actually makes a lot of sense to me because you're not asking people to go off site and get their content somewhere else. But these sites that say, you know, we are an AI content writing tool, those are the ones that I just, I tested a whole bunch of them and just didn't find anything that, that got me better results than just using, or like you said, a really well-crafted prompt. And I can speak to how to craft a really good prompt and the kinds of things you need to think about we really give it kind of a framework before we ask it to give anything back to us. And I think that pre-thinking makes a huge difference. I'm curious then, how are you applying that and in what areas are you applying it? Well, the one thing we do first before we do anything anywhere on any platform is we just talk about the purpose of either the email or the piece of content that we're creating. What are we trying to accomplish with this? And oftentimes people don't even stop and do that. Mm. So no matter what platform you are, you're on, you really need to pause and say, who am I trying to reach? And what am I hoping they will do after they interact with this email or this piece of content that I'm about to build? If you haven't started there, I recommend that you don't start. <laughs> and you take a moment and really think that through because... Once you have the purpose and you have the goal in mind, then you can show up and no matter what tool you're using, it's going to work better because you'll know what you want to accomplish with it. And then beyond that, it depends a little bit on what you're building. I think if you're creating an email, you need to think about what is the topic of this email. I always recommend that people try not to stuff too many different things in their email. They maybe have kind of one action that you're hoping people will take in the email. So knowing that, going into it and knowing that, same thing with a piece of content. What is the one topic I'm going to talk about in this piece of content? Don't make it a long rambly piece that you talk about a lot of different things. People have short attention spans. Just focus on one concept that you want people to take away from the content that you're creating. And then, and again, this is geeky marketing stuff. So people <laughs> listening may not do this, but what we do is we create what's called a content brief. So this is basically where we're thinking through how do we want to structure that content? For an email, you might think through what would the subject line be? And then you might think through what are the main points I want to hit in this email? 
for a blog post, you might think through what will my headline be? And then you might think, what will the subheads be within this blog post that I'm writing or in a podcast? What will the sections of the podcast be or in a video? Same kind of thing. So you're thinking through that structure before you ever touch any kind of AI tool. And that allows your human brain to really shape what you're putting into the AI tool by doing some of that thinking ahead of time. I believe really strongly that we need to lead those tools and not let them lead us. We need to be in charge of what goes in and then we need to shape whatever comes out, right? If you go in with a well thought out structure, you'll get pretty decent results. I always say it's like having you know, an intern who's had too many cups of coffee and <laughs> they type really fast, but they're not very accurate and they need some guidance and they haven't spent that much time out in the world and you have to give them some guidance. So it'll give you something quickly. The better the prompt and the better you the input that you give it, the better the results, obviously. But then you really need to spend some time polishing the results, humanizing them, adding quotes, adding real-time data, adding stories from your own business. It is remarkable though, because it gives you, I'm calling it, it's not even really a first draft, Dave. I think it's yeah. like a draft zero. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like a draft zero. It's like an AI draft, right? So it's worth something. It's not as good as a human first draft, but it's fast and you get something that you can then shape. I think editing abilities are going to be in high demand and people are going to want to understand how to shape something as much as they want to understand how to write something from scratch, you know? Which I'm going to just put a word out there. If you can get a good editor to begin with, regardless if you're using AI or not, it's such a huge difference in anything that you're going to create and communicate with anybody. So it's interesting. I mean, some of the things that you're saying, right? It, because like, I think it, and it shines in different areas too, right? Where I, I look at, like, there are ways that I'm using it that are also like, sometimes I'll have like a transcript of something, right? Where I've done this thing and like, oh, how can I summarize this? And how can I do something so that allows me to create something else? Or what would be a good description of this thing? Or like, it's good for those like quick things. Again, to your point though, typically you can't just cut and paste it necessarily, right? There are sometimes as it gets better and it learns and it knows what you're looking for and, and you train it more, I think it, obviously it gets better and better at that stuff. But seeing the headlines, and I know they're headlines, right? Because this is how they, they, we get people's attention, but like it's not a replacement for the human, I think is what we're saying here. Particularly, I think this is important. And I'd love your point of view on this too, is that particularly when you think of content and the fact that now, I mean, there's already a lot of garbage content out there to begin with the fact that everyone will have access to being able to just create it like that is that it actually makes the human element in the creation process all that more important. Would you agree or? Yes, definitely. Definitely. It's always been important. And as people who write content and create content online, I think it's always been important for the human being on the other side of the screen to sense that there's a human behind the message that they're interacting with, right? That's always been important, which is why writers are constantly working on finding their writing voice because they want to communicate in a way that their human writing voice comes through. And it's even more important now because if you are starting with some baseline content that's been created by your friendly neighborhood robot, <laughs> yeah, you know, I see the results and I, I always 
kind of think to myself, well, I mean, nice try, but here, let me help you out with that, right? So I think we need to have that attitude like, okay, well, that's, I mean, that's a good start. Thank you. Got to give it a little zhuzh. Right, but thanks for doing it so quickly too. But one of the things that I'll do is I almost look for buried treasure. So I'll go through it and say, well, this whole paragraph doesn't work at all, but this one phrase, that's a really interesting way to say Mm. that. So let me see if I can find a way to weave that in. So you end up oftentimes cutting a lot of it that just sometimes it's repetitive or it's just awkward the way it's stated or it's just inaccurate. It's made up something and you need to take it out because it's just not true. So you need to go in and make sure you catch those things, but you also need to keep an open and curious mind and say, well, I mean, that's not accurate, but if I take this piece of it and put it with some information that actually is accurate, that could be a really interesting way to say that, right? So there's a lot of, you're doing a lot of cut and paste and moving things around so that in the end, you have something that really feels like a human thought through every single word of what you put out there. I just love that idea of that. It's it's almost like a instant person or, well, person. I'll, <laughs> great for podcasts. I'm using air quotes uh, for person. <laughs> but this person that uh, you can kind of brainstorm with, right? It's, it's almost like a creative exercise in many levels, right? Because you have to engage with it and you have to think about it. And it helps unlock something that you may not have gotten to otherwise in lieu of being in front of another real person, right? So I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. Any other things that you're seeing with AI or how you're using it or what else is going on over there? The only other thing that I have seen was this amazing prompt that helped you to figure out what your natural writing voice is Oh. so that you can then describe it back to chat GPT. So if you find a piece of writing that is very accurate to how you would like to sound normally, you can tell ChatGPT to analyze it and give you a description using descriptive words to talk about how that writing voice sounds to the ear and and a description that you can then grab and feed back to ChatGPT and say, hey, write something that sounds authoritative and friendly and approachable and easy to understand and all of this whatever it is that it thinks your writing voice sounds like. Mm. Is this based on your own writing? Is this what you mean or? Yes. So what you do is you tell it, I'm going to give you a piece of content to analyze and I want you to describe the writing voice used in the content. And then you find a piece of content that you've written, something you've written, either a longish email or a blog post or an email to a friend, something that you feel really sounds like you. And then you paste that in and you tell it to analyze it. And, you know, what's interesting is it will give you back the robot's interpretation of that writing voice. But guess what? If you feed that interpretation back into the robot, the robot will know what to write (laughs) to sound more like you. So I think that's a smart thing to do as well, to just have have it analyze what you sound like at your very best when you're writing. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think one of the things that I feel as though is also getting lost in this, I guess what we would call the generative AI piece, right, where it's actually creating content is the other area I think where AI is really interesting is in how it can process like just large amounts of data, right? And then use that in some ways to find patterns, help you understand, you know, what's going on or make predictions on 
you know, what's going to happen next. I, particularly, I think of this obviously in a sales manner, right? But like that to me is an even bigger piece of this puzzle that I feel like is getting lost in the whole thing. And I think probably where it even shines more <laughs> than the generative piece, right? So it's really interesting. Lots of, uh, I call it interesting times that we're in uh, right now with all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I've heard that Google is developing a solution. I think it's called DeepMind. It's going to do exactly that. It's going yeah. to do, you know, deep analysis and problem solving. So it definitely feels like we're right in the beginning of this, even though we all feel like we're being surrounded by AI. I think it's going to be something that as we look back, 2023 was the tip of the iceberg and it just got more interesting as time went on. Yeah. It, you know, when you think of kind of your journey to this point, what would be your best piece of business advice for someone running their own thing? I would say you will never regret networking. <laughs> you and I have known each other for, I don't even know how long, Dave. It's probably 15 years. I, it's a long time. <laughs> and I've known so many other people. I've met so many other people along the way. Even when I had my online business, I was trying to show up at events and network with people and I just am so grateful for the connections that I've made over the years and frankly, grateful to myself that I've kept those connections up because some amazing things have happened when I've just reached back out to someone and said, hey, it's been a while. How, how are things with you? I'm a little introverted. I would say I'm kind of a little both. I'm an ambivert, which is introverted <laughs> and extroverted mixed together. So I, I don't naturally wake up in the morning feeling like, hey, I want to go and talk to a bunch of people. That's not my natural state. But I'll tell you what, just making myself do that outreach every once in a while has been such a game changer in my business. You can find people who want to joint venture with you, collaborate with you, support you in some way. They'll invite you to their event. They will talk about you in their email newsletter. They will, you know, whatever it is, those professional relationships, when you own your own business can be so nurturing. It's such a source of amazing inspiration and then business juice to really boost your business results that I would encourage everyone to do that. And it's it doesn't have to be complicated. Email someone, pick up the phone and give them a call, send them a text message, whatever it takes. Love that. Based on what you know now and what you're seeing working and happening in the world today in terms of marketing, what would be your best piece of marketing advice? My best piece of marketing advice is to go into the marketing process very focused on the customer that you're trying to reach. Don't get caught up in the tactics that you're going to use to reach that customer. Become obsessed with the customer themselves and what they're going through before they come looking for a solution like the one that you offer. And never lose sight of that person. And if they change, if the people who are showing up to your business change, become obsessed with the new customer you're serving. And just keep yourself really focused on the customer themselves. That's your North Star that should be guiding all of the marketing decisions you make. All of the companies that want to sell you shiny tactics, you know, ad platforms they want you to use or swag they want you to give away at your event. Those are all tactics. So just start by thinking about the customer you want to reach, and that will always guide your decisions and help you to 
make decisions that will actually make your marketing work. Well, friend, let's recap some items from that discussion. Number one, create standard operating procedures. If you want to help yourself and your team get things done, create a set of written instructions that describes the step-by-step process that must be taken to perform a routine activity properly. Now, an SOP can be a great resource that allows you to remain consistent, especially for things that you're not doing every day. And when the time comes to delegate, you'll be in a better position to train someone else. Number two, calendar, calendar, calendar the work. Here we are again. How do you get things done? You make time to do them. Now, Pamela shared how she organized a system for her team to create things on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This allows the team to attend meetings on the other days of the week and also saves that time necessary to get the marketing work done. Now, you only get the time if you make the time. Number three, create content that answers questions prospects have just before they're ready to buy. Now, when it comes to content marketing, people often spend a lot of time answering questions that are earlier in the buying process. But if you never get to more specific questions that those looking to buy may have, you could miss out on potential customers. Now, if you're in a position where you have had sales-related conversations, try to record them so that you can reference the questions that you may need to answer other places. Then you can create that content and put it on your website to help answer those questions for people that are looking for them. Now, here's your action item for today. Make time for professional relationships. Look, it's no secret that relationships make the world go round. And it's those professional relationships that can bring new opportunities that grow your business. But of course, just like everything else, you need to make some time to connect with those people who are important to you professionally. It doesn't have to be anything other than a quick check-in to see how things are going. But this act of bringing yourself to the forefront just may spur your next partnership. So make a list of at least five people to contact in the upcoming week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Be A Marketer podcast. If you have questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at dave.charest at constantcontact.com. If you did enjoy today's episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. Your honest feedback will help other small business marketers like yourself find the show. Well, friend, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and continued success to you and your business.